You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. party people welcome back to another thursday episode of clapback culture i'm your girl jules jesse and of course i'm back with all of the hot topics that are taking over our airways and really over social media you guys i put together a really good show i'm so excited to chop it up with you guys um welcome back to everybody who's been tuning in since you know since i've been taking over the show by myself Listen, I really want you guys to flood the comments tonight and join me in conversation. So if you're watching this on Facebook or YouTube, make sure to pull up in the comments, dial in, let me know your thoughts on a lot of these topics. So what's up, fam bam? I see y'all coming in. Leon, Tracy, Becca, what's up? I see y'all coming in. Yeah, let's get it. So you guys, there is some new developments in the Emmett Till case and Honestly, I knew about this probably for um, almost a week and a half ago. I talked to Omari about it and he mentioned it um, to me and Trey Holiday thinking, listen, if you have more time to add it in your show, this is big. This is going to be big news. So shout out to Big O for um, knowing what's going on before it's really um, going on. But listen, there's been a significant development. We have a clip. Cuddy, go ahead and play that clip and then we're going to come back and talk about it. And bringing right now a discovery in the nearly 70-year-old murder case of Chicago teenager Emmett Till. A team searching for evidence in Till's murder found an unserved arrest warrant in the basement of a Mississippi courthouse. That warrant charged a white woman in Till's 1955 kidnapping. The woman in question was uh, Carolyn Bryant Donham, who was married to one of the men acquitted in Till's murder. The team that made the discovery included two members of Till's family and the Till Legacy Foundation. Now the family is demanding that Donham be served and charged in the case. All right. Well, that is the new development. So you guys, Emmett Till, just as a reminder, was the 14-year-old uh, Chicago-born um, teen who was visiting family in Money, Mississippi, and was brutally murdered, kidnapped, um, murdered, and then thrown and left for dead in a river um, by two white men for allegedly um, whistling slash making inappropriate um, gestures to a white woman. Now that woman, that accuser is Carolyn Bryant, who now goes by Carolyn uh, Donham. Well, we're talking about something that is 67 years later. However, protesters are saying, listen, it's time to face your demons despite um, it all. So uh, Carolyn Donham now is in her mid to late 80s, um, as it alleged in or as it um, alluded to in the video, you guys, she was married to one of the two men that were acquitted by an all white jury um, back in 1955. Um, this is huge. Uh, and so here's kind of a little bit more um, since that video that we know about y'all. And so um, the, the there was a team of individuals, including Till's family, uh, that were looking for documents at a courthouse and they stumbled upon this arrest warrant. Uh, the arrest warrant has been uh, certified and verified of its legitimacy, um, according to the Associated Press from the current LaFleur County Circuit Court. And listen, the family of Emmett Till and, and really the foundation surrounding that movement is saying like, prosecutors need to do their due, due diligence and, and execute this warrant. What are your guys' thoughts on this? I mean, is it too little too late or does it, or is it time that justice is served? A little bit more tea, you guys, according to an article that I read in the Daily Beast, Activists are demanding uh, for Emmett Till, um, demanding justice, you guys. And they pulled up to the senior living home in North Carolina where they believe Donaham is living. And people were even walking up in there looking for her, you guys. So it's getting real. 
Um, even as of today, there was more uh, a, more of a public cry for that. And so, listen, you guys are saying serve the warrant. Arlo's saying serve the warrant. Do you guys think it's too little too late? Or is it time to face your demons and come out and face the music? Um, according to a historian who was doing a, a book on Emmett Till, he alleged that uh, Carolyn Donahue admitted that she lied. Um, you know, of course, she's walking back those statements. Now the family is walking back those statements saying that those things are not true. Um, listen, I don't think it's too late, personally. You know what I'm saying? 60, 70 years later, if an arrest warrant is there, it's legitimate. It is verified uh, by the current uh, LaFour County, uh, uh, County Circuit Court. Execute that warrant. You know what I'm saying? And, and people have to face uh, the time. You know, we think about uh, Bill Cosby, you guys, you know, everyone felt like, well, dang, Bill Cosby, you know, he's, you know, 80, 80 years old. He's so old to be going to jail. But listen, he had to face, um, you know, he had to face up to his previous wrongs. And so this is one of those things that, you know, it may not stick, um, but I would like to see the warrant issued. So it's time to face the music. And I think you guys are all agreeing with me in the comments. That is a sentiment from the family. Um, but we'll see. Um, we shall see. I mean, we're living in a time right now where someone like Jalen Walker can get shot 50, 60 times. OK. And then a person like Cremo can be taken safely and unharmed. So we'll get into that a little bit later into the show. But y'all listen, we'll be, we'll continue to follow the story with Emmett Till, but big news and big developments in that 67 year old case. Another case update that I wanted to bring to you guys is Brittany Griner. Um, she went ahead and pleaded guilty to the drug charges at her trial this week. Um, she is continuing to be, be held in a Russian court, um, but she's admitting to bringing cannabis into the country and saying that she packed it while she was in a hurry. She is facing 10 years up to those charges. Now, here is what makes Brittany Griner's case a bit different. And um, forgive me, Cuddy, because I, I sent you a billion overlays for this story because I really wanted to lead you guys um, on a journey of what makes this case unique because there's a lot of new coverage surrounding it following uh, one, uh, Brittany Griner's open letter to the president and two, um, really having more understanding of Griner being a bargaining chip to release some uh, Russian criminals that are held in American custody. So let's go ahead and put up that overlay of what makes Brittany Griner unique, what makes this case so unique, because it's not just that uh, she allegedly, or well, I guess it's not allegedly anymore, is that she brought in a, a less than 0.7 grams of cannabis oil um, into her suitcase. It was one vape and one vape um, cartridge uh, that contained the cannabis oil in it. But what makes this unique, and if we have that, if we can just pull it up, Cuddy, um, is that one is, is she's a celebrity, right? And so because of her celebrity status and having being so high profile, it really is giving leeway into making her a high bargaining chip to do so, so that they can release high profile prisoners and do a prisoner swap. And they're attempting to do it with Victor Bout. And Victor Bout was a weapons um, dealer out of Russia who Putin wants back. So we're going to see more of that. The second thing that makes this case unique is that she is black. She is a visible minority. Um, and we know historically that Russia has been, you know, anti-black and, and really high on white supremacy. And so if they're continuing to lead with that, I mean, you know, it's going to be, again, another barrier for her to overcome. And of course, she's queer. And not only is she queer, she's openly married to a woman. And that really continues to set Griner apart. You know, I mean, she's seven feet tall. She's a black queer woman. Um, she's, a, you know, a high profile celebrity. This and, and she's being held for something that's not political. And so that makes her the ultimate bargaining chip because Russia knows that they can really use her as leverage to kind of get her back. But here's why 
being a black queer, queer woman is a little bit more um uh, has a little bit more conditions on it, right? It's a little bit more two on the 10. So Russia has a lot of, you know, really cruel anti-LGBTQ laws. In fact, some people are facing prison time as we speak uh, for promoting what they call a natural lifestyles. And so uh, that could even be just, you know, uh, being in a gay relationship in public, okay? Or even, you know, just openly talking about being gay. And so people are, you know, uh, you know, serving time for that now, you know, looking for prison sentences now in Russia for that very thing. So when you add all of those things up and you think about her being judged by a jury of her peers, I mean, she's a seven foot tall black queer woman. You know exactly who she is. And the idea of moral of morals will come up in the conversation because she looks exactly what she is. And so it's a complicated situation, I think, for Brittany. Um, she did write an open letter, you guys, uh, pleading her case to President uh, Biden. And TJ Quinn of ESPN shared this expert. We'll go ahead and put that up. And, and in the letter, she spoke about her freedom. Um, she says, on the 4th of July, our family normally honors the service of those men who fought for our freedom, including including my father, who was a Vietnam War vet. It hurts thinking about how I usually celebrate this day because freedom means something completely to me this year. Okay, we, we get it, girl. Um, she goes on to say this. If we can just put that other, the other overlay. She goes on to say, nope, not that, not that. <laughs> the, the other part of the open letter. I hope we have that. But she goes on to finish her open letter and just really pleading to President Biden um, and saying, you know, I miss my family. I miss my teammates. And this process is really hurting um, my family and my friends. And, you know, anything you can do to get me home is, is, is what I need. So she did plead guilty. Um, and this is the statement she said about pleading guilty. So we can put that up, Cuddy. Um, she says, this is what she said in open court. So she didn't say much. And keep in mind, you guys, that she is in a cage the entire time, like a physical cage in, inside the Russian courtroom. That's just like normal. So anyway, she finally gets out of the cage and she comes out and says, I would like to plead guilty on the charges against me, but I had no intention on breaking any Russian law. I was in a rush packing and the cartridges accidentally ended up my ended up in my bag. Now, Brittany, I don't know who told you to say that, girl, but I don't know. I don't know if I would have got up and said that. I'm going to just keep it a stack. I don't know, y'all. I don't know. If I'm standing in Russian court with 10 years on my back thinking I'm going to say that. Um, when she was asked why she decided to be guilty today, Griner's uh, lawyers basically came out and said that, you know, it was her first chance to address the court, um, adding that, you know, she recognized that she's a role model. And that many, you know, and then she thinks it's really important for her to kind of live up to her mistakes. I mean, I get it. And all of that sounds good. But like, sis, you facing 10 years in a Russian prison. OK, during a time where Putin is going to war with Ukraine and you are a political bargaining chip right now. So I don't know if I would be standing on that right now, but more power to her. Um I don't know, y'all. Would would you guys have pled guilty? I don't know if I would have pled guilty. I mean, I guess maybe I don't know if I would have pled guilty. So here's the thing. So now the conversation is, can the United States do more, right? Um, you know, personally, and what I've been reading in reports is that the U.S. is likely doing what they need to do behind closed doors because this is so high profile. And I know that there probably are a lot of high level conversations going on that, you know, American people like me and you are not privy to um, because this is so risky because it sets a precedent precedent. So here's the thing. If Brittany is released and they do that prison swap, it then sets that precedent and that you can kidnap and detain a high level American and hold them for a future swap for any Russian criminal that is held in American custody. So there's a lot to consider here, you guys. Um, it's just a lot to consider here. Our thoughts and prayers are, are going to continue to be with Brittany Griner and her family. Um, 
I see you guys in the comments. So Leon, you said, I saw something about her statement being a step towards a prisoner exchange. Um, like that's part of the deal or something. So yes, exactly. That seems to be likely what's happening. And, and to your point, it's also going to be something uh, that I think is not going to be in the news headlines. Uh, Becca says, uh, men's reyes, the guilty mind, actus reyes, that the guilty act and concurrency equals crime. She is saying, yes, it happened, but I didn't have the guilty mind. Ooh, love that. I hope I was uh, reading that correctly. I love that. Um, Becca, thank you for sharing that. That's exactly true. And sometimes we can do things without having um, guilty, a guilty mind, you know, doing things without intention. And so, again, I think, you know, in any other court, that would probably be warranted. Uh, but I don't know if I would be taking that chance in Putin's court. Uh, so there is that. All right, y'all. Let's go ahead and take a quick break. But when we come back, we are going straight into our Do It For The Culture section. And I have got to talk to you guys about State Senator Tierra Mack, who is going viral for twerking. Let's get it. So stay tuned. You're watching Clapback Culture. Everyone's invited to the prom. From the creators of the Book of Mormon, Elf and the Drowsy Chaperone. The Prom is a musical comedy about big Broadway stars on a mission to change the world and the love they discover that unites them all. The Prom makes you believe in musical comedy again. So full of happiness that you think your heart is about to burst. Everyone deserves a chance to celebrate. On sale now. Tickets at FifthAvenue.org. All right, y'all, welcome back to this episode of Clapback Culture. I am your girl, Jules, if you're just tuning in. And listen, it is time to do it for the culture one time for the one time. So it, I would be remiss if I did not bring this story to you guys. And I need to hear your thoughts. You guys know I work in politics and I have served on plenty of campaigns. Now, one person who is campaigning hard is Rhode Island Senator Tierra Mack. Okay. And so she went viral, you guys, for a twerk video that she posted on the 4th of July, which is when she kicked off her campaign. I don't have the video of her twerking. I do have a statement, but put up the overlay of her doing the twerking handstand. Let's get that up. Okay. So that is Tierra Mack. Um, first of all, can I just say, listen, she is doing a handstand in the sand and twerking simultaneously. Do you guys know how hard that is? That's not an easy thing. So that is our Rhode Island Senator. Um, a little background on her, you guys, is that she was elected in 2020. She's serving a two-year term um, in, in that Senator seat. She blew out the incumbent who was the state, who was serving in the state legislature since 1985. She's 26 years old. Um, or she's, she was 26 years old at the time. Um, so she's young. Uh, she's unapologetically black and queer. Okay. And she, uh, stands by everything she says and does. I'm really feeling her, you guys. And so, the viral video came out and at the end of the video, she says, um, you know, make sure you vote for Tierra Mac, right? So she is literally twerking for votes. What I love about it is that a, she really faced a viral firestorm and people see it as inappropriate. Um, you know, they don't like it. It's not something that needs to be admitted into this political environment. Um, it's disrespectful to black women, all the things they say, right? What I like about it is that she's a progressive Democrat. And when it comes down to what she is actually doing, the work that she's doing, she's really being an advocate, right? Like she is really putting down a lot of legislation. She's creating a lot of um, different plans in place to, to really move the things in Rhode Island for those residents. Now, here's the thing. She faced a lot of clapback and she says that she realizes there are separate rules in society for me. I choose not to follow them. And for many, that is liberating 
And for many that is deliberating and for others, it rubs them the wrong way. I leave with empathy, love, compassion, and joy in all that I do. So she's doubling down on this twerk thing. She's like, I don't care. So after all of the mixed reviews, she has continued to use her TikTok platform to talk about why she just don't care. So let's go ahead and take a look at that video. This was her response. Uh, take a look. Am I surprised that the internet is more ready to talk about me twerking upside down on America's birthday yesterday than they are ready to talk about any of the policy wins I had this year or any of the other accomplishments that I've had outside of the Senate chamber, inside of the Senate chamber? I'm not surprised that they would rather talk about me shaking my ass. The consistency and the dedication in which the media decides to target black queer women, myself, um, in ways that are unproductive to the narrative is, it's lazy, it's tacky, and quite frankly, I'm over it. I got policy papers for days on my website. I have introduced policy for days. I'd be talking, I'd be elevating things. And the only thing they want to talk about is me shaking my ass. Uh, so. All right, I'd be talking and I'd be elevating things and all the things are on my website. So pull the receipts. Y'all, okay, let me just be honest. As a campaign manager, I would be mad as hell. Okay, I'd be like, listen, that is not what we want to do. I don't want to put that into the atmosphere. That's not our lane. But at the same time, if her base supports some of that and she can get those votes, then I mean, come on. You know what I'm saying? I think here, here's what I like about it, too. And I see, okay, Harry Jefferson says that I think it's tacky and there's not a space for a woman in position. Okay, so maybe you're saying you, you don't like the twerking. Uh, respectively can be deceptive appearance way too many times. Here's the thing, you guys. What I like about this even more... Okay, so hold on. Let me backtrack a little bit. Like, if it were my candidate, I would be pissed. I would be like, this ain't, this ain't the way we want to go. Uh, because it does create so much tension. But she has a valid point and that the media would rather respond to BS of her shaking her ass than really highlighting some of her policy. Um, and I think that is true with our media and in really our social media and that the drama, the negative, the messy, the ghetto, all of that is amplified. And so if this is a, a way for her to, to begin to amplify those other messages that are more important, maybe this is just a way for her to get in the good information. Secondly, I'll say this, I really enjoy that she is not a performing politician and that she's doubling down on exactly who she is and she's standing on it. And so when you're willing to jump out there and say, not only do I not care, but I'm going to continue to brand my campaign with hashtag I'm twerking for affordable housing and hashtag I'm twerking for, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, criminal justice reform, which is what she's doing. If you guys go check out her Twitter account. She's using this viral moment and spinning the narrative in the right way. So she does have a good PR team. Um, Dr. Jackson brings up a good point. What's her opponent's name? Who knows? Because the media is talking about her. Exactly. So here's the thing. I was interested to know who the opponent was too, because this is hard to get over. However, how is this going to translate into votes? So let's not get it twisted. You can blow up and have a social media moment and all of that's cute. But if you can't get people to the polls um, to support you, this she could very well lose her base, right? So this is a big gamble. Um, again, she's a progressive Democrat. Not only did she really oust, uh, you know, the incumbent who was serving since 1985. Let's not forget that she had 60% of the votes. Um, but she also, you know, won big in the general election in 2020. And she beat out independent Kevin Gilligan with nearly 90% of the votes. And she became the first openly gay black person elected to the Rhode Island Senate. So 
she might be good, y'all. I will be watching to see if she gets reelected. Um, she is leading unapologetically and standing on all of this. I mean, here's the thing. We are twerking, okay? All the black girls, we be twerking. That's that's a thing, okay? That's just cultural. Do we need it in politics? I don't know. I don't think so. But listen, if she's willing to jump out there and she's got policy to back it up, hey, baby girl, let's do it. I'm, I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to stand by you. And I'm going to stand by with my popcorn to see what that base does. I mean, listen, if we can vote somebody in office like Donald Trump, and I, I say we, but I mean them, not us. If someone like Donald Trump can be elected in office who says you can grab women by their pussies, listen, I mean, is twerking really that harmful? You know what I'm saying? Like, I think we got bigger fish to fry. I mean, look at Marjorie Taylor Greene, somebody like her. I mean, everybody can't be the same, right? Uh, so we'll see. This is going to be an interesting, this is just an interesting, interesting political climate in this day and age. We'll be watching. We'll see what happens. But shout out to Tierra Mac. Good luck on your campaign, sis. I'm always going to be black girl, team black girl magic. So it's, it's, it's a, I don't know if it's a win in my book, but it's definitely not a foul. So here we are. All right. Some more updates, y'all in the death of Nipsey Hussle. And in fact, Eric Holder was found guilty. Um, he's the man charged in the fatal shooting of Nipsey Hussle, um, which we already knew, right? We already knew because it was all caught on camera. But what makes it significant is that he was found guilty on first degree murder. Let's go ahead and take a look. Or maybe we don't take a look. <laughs> all right, Cuddy, you let me know if we have that video. But look, so he was charged, you guys, um, not only with first degree murder, but he was also charged with two counts of attempted first degree murder. And that's because he shot Nipsey and he also shot two bystanders who were hit by the gunfire in that parking garage. Um, so with that being said, I mean, we knew what happened. And so here, here, here's the, the caveat in this case or what makes it significant. Holder's attorney, um, Aaron Jansen, basically told the jury that this was not premeditated, that that Eric Holder did not plan the murder. Stop what you're doing. But that he's saying that this was a crime of passion. Well, here's what happened. Nipsey Hussle and Eric Holder were outside having a conversation. It's alleged that during that conversation, Nick did not want to have anything to do with Eric. He told him, go ahead and go on about your business because he heard he was snitching, which is a huge thing in the hood. OK, so if you're telling Okay, and you got paperwork that says you're telling, you just ain't no good around your way. And here's how I feel about that, y'all. If you are a regular citizen like myself, I don't engage in criminal activity, okay? I don't live for the streets. I don't die by the streets. I don't do nothing that has nothing to do with these streets. But street code, and if you are living in the streets and you abide by that street code, then this absolutely applies to you. And so Nick was having a conversation with Eric, like, listen, Holmes, nah, you, you're, you're no good around here and you're gonna have to move, move on. Well, Eric went back to the vehicle and, 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 and got two firearms and came back and killed Nipsey. And so his attorney was trying to really pin the attack, calling it a, a, a heated crime of passion um, in a sense, but we know that not to be true because if you leave and you come back and you shoot somebody with not one, but two guns, you know, it, it's given first degree murder. Um, Eric Holder was also badly beaten in prison. Uh, a lot of his family members have actually been beaten, killed uh, since his arrest um, prior to the conviction. So it, it's a lengthy process with all of this, you guys. It's a lot of retaliation and everything like that. Um but I'm glad to see justice in the family for Nipsey Hussle. He'll be somebody that's never going to be easily replaced in our culture. Um, but our thoughts and prayers continue to be with Lauren London, his kids, his family. Um, and I'm, I'm just happy to see that justice was served in this case. So we're going to move on without the video. I kind of gave you guys a wrap up of everything there. 
There is another story I wanted to bring to you guys. Do you guys remember Jerry Harris? He was in that Netflix series, um, Cheerleaders, and he wrote, that's how he got his start. Y'all, I had no idea. Well, you guys know I'm a Netflix buff. Okay, you guys know I'm still in my account for my brother, all that. But listen, Jerry Harris was charged with, um, uh, with child pornography. Here's the receipt. Let's play that video. Jerry Harris, who rose to fame on the Netflix docuseries Cheer, was sentenced on Wednesday to 12 years in federal prison on charges related to child pornography. The sentence is three years less than prosecutors hoped for. They originally wanted him to get a 15-year sentence. According to NBC News, his 12-year prison sentence will be followed by eight years of court-supervised release. The sentencing comes nearly five months after the Netflix star pleaded guilty to two charges of receiving child pornography and engaging in interstate travel for the purpose of engaging in illicit sexual act with a minor under the age of 15. The Netflix personality was arrested back in September 2020 on charges of production of child pornography after an FBI investigation. The 22-year-old was indicted on seven counts of receiving and attempting to receive child pornography and of persuading minors to engage in sexual contact from August 2017 to August 2020. The former cheerleader. Y'all, I am blown. I had no idea any of this. I didn't know he was even in custody of police. I didn't know he pled guilty, child. I didn't know none of this. I missed, where have I been since 2019? I had no idea. So listen, here is what makes this situation really disheartening and unheartbreaking. So as a leader in the cheer community, Harris used his celebrity status, right? In the community to get involved with minors. And one of the victims involved, or some of the victims involved in this case were a pair of twin brothers who stated that Harris coerced them into sending him sexually explicit photos. Um, one of the twins also told police that Harris asked for oral sex in the bathroom during a cheerleading event. And so he was 22 at the time, you guys. And he's, these are 14 year old boys. So it just gives, I can't believe it. Um, and I can believe it at the same time, but we really have to protect our teenagers at this point, because there's a lot of older people that are surrounding them um, for him to be in a position of coaching, a position of leadership, and then using that status to prey on young boys um, within, you know, the construct of those kind of organizations is really disheartening because you feel like you're, you can entrust your child with the coach um, in, in the coaching assistant, the coaching staff, you just think your kids are, are safe. And so this was a crazy situation. Um, I was shocked and appalled because I hadn't heard anything about it, but he was, he's been locked up since February of 2020, um, which is probably why I didn't hear about it, child, because the whole pandemic then went by, but he pled guilty. He was facing 50 years. He ended up getting 12. The prosecutors were asking for 15. Um, so, I mean, man, you threw away your whole life for like sex with young boys. I just don't get it. Um, Harris's attorneys argued that he experienced sexual assault as a child and had a skewed version of what he understood to be appropriate relationships. Now, let me ask you guys, do you guys, you know, when we hear a lot about these sexual assault cases, a lot of that kind of introduction, that experience and that trauma from uh, someone's past gets brought into the courtroom. Do you guys think that's something you can stand on? Yeah, let me know in the comments below if you think that's something that people can actually stand on, if that is a reason behind why someone becomes a sexual predator. Um, is it that they, you know, are a sexual predator? They know what they're doing that's wrong. Let me go back up to Becca's comment where it's like having the guilty mind versus the guilty act. I mean, where do we stand on this, Becca? What do you think? Um, you know, do you think all of that plays into how someone behaves? Um, I would say yes, but does that give us a pass to bypass justice? And I would say no, um, because again, you may not have the guilty mind, but you did commit the guilty act. All right. Mens reis and actus reis. Okay. I like that. I'm going to keep that handy. 
um, moving forward in our show. Well, look, you guys, we have 20 minutes left in the show, and I have got to talk to you guys about um, this Jalen Walker case. Okay. And I really want to talk about the difference in treatment by police compared to the shooter in the Highland Park shooting, Robert E. Cremo. Um, rather than taking a break, I just want to flow right into it because I want to keep all my time here. So the Highland Park parade shooting came one week after Akron police shot and killed by firing squad, if you ask me, um, the black driver suspected of of um, some traffic violations that they still haven't fully said what the traffic violations are. There's been so much in the media about this and I made the decision to, to think about the comparison reports. So, here, and I don't even know where to begin, but I wanna walk you through this journey. So we have Jalen Walker, who has no criminal record, um, who has never committed a crime in his life, who was unarmed, who was fleeing on foot at the time that he was murdered by, by the Akron police, shot, shot at 90 times, hit over 60 times. And then we have Robert Primo and all of the other white mass shooters that are safely apprehended by police. And so not only was Cremo, uh, uh, was not only was he the shooter, but he, when he was safely apprehended, he was only titled a person of interest. It wasn't until the next day that they decided to identify him as the suspect and charge him with seven counts of first degree murder. Okay, so that's what I'm talking about. Uh, the Akron Police Department released the body camera footage. It's a it's a total of an 18 minute video. You guys can see the whole thing on YouTube. I recommend you watch it because we absolutely have to understand what's happening um, in the state of our country right now. When it when we we keep having this conversation about black people and their interaction with police, and people think it's bullshit, and it's just not. You know what I'm saying? Somebody like Jalen Walker, who has no criminal record, who hasn't committed any crimes, who gets pulled over by police and is in a high speed chase, who they say allegedly shot at him, who there's no camera footage, in my opinion, that totally backs it up. But the Akron police put it up. He was shot at by eight police officers over 90 times. They riddled his body with 60 bullets or more, um, which still that number hasn't even been confirmed yet uh, because the autopsy report hasn't been released and the, the the doctors conducting the autopsy report have to determine which bullets are entry wounds versus exit wounds. When Cremo, he killed six people in a mass shooting, wounded 40 plus others, um, and was just, again, safely apprehended by police. And so this is how mass shooters get taken down by police. This, if you're white and you commit a mass shooter, this is how police take you in. Let's, let's show that first. Fled from the vehicle on foot, turning and facing officers momentarily. He continued to run, evading arrest. Officers attempted to safely take the suspect into custody by deploying their tasers. The deployment of tasers was unsuccessful. That wasn't it. I wanna show the overlay. There we go, perfect, all right. He's on the ground, he's safely in handcuffs, nobody shot at him. They got the dog with the muzzle on, they're even holding the dog back, okay? And it's all, listen, he only has two officers, one touching his shoulder, one touching one of his legs, okay? Nobody's kneeing on his neck. Not a bullet was fired. And this is the thing. It's not to say that he shouldn't have been safely apprehended so we can get him in police custody. But what I'm saying is, why does something like this happen to Jalen Walker? Now let's watch that video. Fled from the vehicle on foot, turning and facing officers momentarily. He continued to run, evading arrest. Officers attempted to safely take the suspect into custody by deploying their tasers. 
The deployment of tasers was unsuccessful and the suspect continued to flee on foot. As the foot chase reached the nearby parking lot, the suspect stopped and quickly turned towards the pursuing officers. Officers reacted by discharging their firearms, striking the suspect. Under visual inspection of the suspect's vehicle, a handgun, a loaded magazine for a handgun, and what appears to be a gold wedding ring were observed in plain view on the driver's seat. Body-worn cameras do not provide a 360-degree or three-dimensional view. We will now play 13 body-worn camera videos. There are 12 other uh, videos, um, other body camera footage videos that show that incident. Now, I wanted to walk you back because I wanted to show the, the, the statement of facts as for the Akron police on that. So number one, um, they showed you a picture that they attempted to release the taser gun. Now there's eight officers and one taser. Um, so now he's out on foot and he's running. You see that there's a, 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 a firearm, which allegedly was reported in the back seat, but photoed in the front seat. Okay. And the magazine is not in the gun. Okay. So I don't know if there's any bullets loaded in the gun, but it seems like they took them that he that he allegedly may have pulled the magazine out. He pulled the clip out the gun. So there's that part. OK, um, when you think about your interactions with police, your fight or flight mode comes in and you're running and your natural instinct is to turn around and look and gauge a distance. And I just can't understand where we have, where we are living, um, where we would ever think that this was, that this somehow constituted the threat. Um, and so we have, I have a few more videos. I'm going to play one of them. And this is um, of Bobby DeCello, um and his team of um, attorneys that have been hired by the family. And he says something that I think is really poignant. Let's take a look. We've heard of transparency, accountability, a commitment to openness, all in an effort to try and gain the trust of the citizens. And for a fair and unbiased review of the facts is what we heard of in the conference today. And what was very telling is what we heard Chief Milet say, that the most critical decision that a police officer will make in his or her career is to pull the trigger and then be able to explain why they did what they did, what specific threats were present, and to be able to account for every round that comes out of that gun. Those are my notes and that's what I heard and with a video will tell us exactly. We have 90 rounds that have to be accounted for. 
and 60 of which that hit the body. And so that information came from the Akron police chief during the press conference. And I agree with Harry Jefferson that this was an execution by fire squad. There's just no way around that. There's no way around it. I don't know how we can sit and continue to have conversations after seeing video footage of exactly what's going on. So there's a few things and, and Leon brought one up that I want to talk to you about. And he says, and then the cops cuffed him, right? It's ridiculous. WTF. So you shot at the man close to a hundred times. And then while the police chief says that they went to go, um, do, uh, conduct medical aid, they handcuffed his body. So you shot me 60 times. You're giving me a, 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 a all types of tourniquets and you're, you know, giving me CPR and all of the things that they allege, because we haven't seen anybody camera footage of them, you know, conducting it, giving him any type of medical attention. I don't know what type of medical attention you can get after your body's been hit up 60 times. You're done. But you throw them in handcuffs? I don't get it. And and that and that is something that we continuously see in the the narrative as it relates to black and brown people in their interactions with police. Why is it that I'm in handcuffs? I clearly I'm no longer a threat. Okay? You didn't hit my body 60 times. It's not like he's going to get up and walk away. So if you are if you are giving me life-saving measures, whose thought is it to say we got to put this man in handcuffs. The Akron police chief says in the press conference, you guys, and I and I, I urge you to go and look at it yourself. He says, and he really highlights the police's, you know, that they jumped in to give medical attention right away. And they were carrying him into a police vehicle to get him over to the hospital as quickly as they could. And then boom, EMS arrived. So they never even had to do that. Do you know his body went to the morgue with handcuffs on? They never even removed his handcuffs off his dead body. Now, here's a second piece of facts, um, according to my research and, and according to uh, Bobby uh, DeCello, the, the, the family's attorney and his team. And he brings up a good point that the eight police officers that discharged their weapon have not produced statements. Now, see, I don't know about y'all. But there's one thing that I think is so important and it is it just seems to be the most normal and natural thing is that when something happens, you have to write it down immediately because the mind will be forgetful. And it also can be triggered and, and also you can pull different memories um, after watching police body camera footage. So you're telling me the eight officers who shot at this man 90 plus times, didn't have to write an immediate statement on why they made the decision to, to fire their, their weapon, because they have to say what the threat was. The reason they did not do that is because the eight of them are getting their stories together. And the Akron Police Department is actively covering this stuff up. And there's just no, there's no one way around it. There's just no one way around it. If it were a witness, they want to get witness statements immediately. Because here's the thing. You got eight police officers who don't make a statement right away. And then they get to watch their police body camera footage and say, oh yeah. Okay, well, do you see what happened right here? We could say this. That's not what, that's not what you saw in the moment. There's so many missing details that we miss in a natural state of mind that will never have the true reason why they felt the need to fire their weapon. And according to the law, they have to account for every single bullet discharged from their weapon. So we have 90 reasons and more of why there was such a threat. And so that's what I'm going to be looking for. Um, I don't know about you, but like I said, you know, we, and we can put it up again. Cuddy, put it up. Put put up that picture of Cremo. 
being apprehended by police. This is this is this is how white mass shooters are apprehended safely. Safely, not a bullet fired, not it, not 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 a takedown, not a knee to the neck, not one shot. I mean, you know, did did they stop and get him a cheeseburger too? I mean, because they they didn't charge him right away. So I mean, were they giving him chips and soda in the back? Jalen Walker never even had his day in court. He committed a traffic violation, okay? The boy was scared. His family even says that Jalen must have been in distress because we've never seen him behave like this, never, okay? This is a law-abiding citizen, okay? There's a lot of details in this case uh, that are, are continuing to unfold. It's unreal, you guys. I, again, I'm waiting for the police statements to come out and they're getting their stories together. This is unfortunately gonna be a cover-up unless we continue to advocate for for individuals like Jalen Walker, okay? I mean, we, we just can't have another Kim Potter situation where you know she accidentally kills somebody because she thought her gun was a taser. We just can't have anyone, we can't, we can't continue to stop black and brown people and kill them and say, oh my God, it was an accident. We're, we're just, we're not doing that anymore. Um, so that's our show tonight. It's food for thought. Um, it's something to think about. I'm gonna leave you guys with a little bit of a high note. And I just wanna say, um, a friend of mine shared a video with me and it, in the video, it was a coach from Duke or Penn State, whichever one. But in that, the coach is talking to the basketball team and she's saying that life is hard and it's going to continue to come hard and that we don't need to get through the hard part so that we can get to the easy part, but that we need to be able to embrace the stuff that's hard and be able to um, continue to triumph over that so that we get even more prepared for the stuff that's harder. And so when things are challenging uh, for the remainder of the week into next week, until I see you guys again, continue to push through and just know that things are gonna get harder, but God is preparing you for something even better. So that's our show tonight. Stay tuned, stay connected, and I'll be back next Thursday, same time, same place. Until then, you guys can follow me on social media, on Twitter, at Treasure of Jewels, on Instagram, at Treasure of Jewels. And of course, make sure you guys follow Converge on all of its social media platforms. That's our show. Thank you for watching Clapback Culture. I'll see you next week. Peace. produces culturally relevant content for black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.